Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, are they cunting Gunther, cloning Gunther as well to replace Sarah? <laughs> I would Sorry. love that. You might have to edit the first part of my sentence there, Ollie. <laughs> Pretty sure I said c***ing Gunther, perhaps. <laughs> it's lights out and away we go! Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's the 16th of January today as we are recording this. Uh, we've, we've got what feels like a bit of a full panel today. We have Matthew. How are you, sir? I am on top of the world today because I'm back with our full panel and we're getting ready to discuss some properly nerdy F1 material. And you've just got back from visiting uh, who? Oh, I just got back from selecting our newest addition to the family, which will be a puppy to replace our dearly departed Copper, uh, who we unfortunately had to put down at the end of last year. Uh, his name will be Hook, and I will now be the least interesting person in my household, and my missus will forget I exist for a couple of months. That's amazing. We can do more podcasts. Um, if you can... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you've got to share this picture into the group. Uh, the, the, the dude is... Um, He's a pretty good-looking chap. Uh, Emma, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. After a week of homeschooling, which has been driving me absolutely insane. I mean, who knew how much work a five-year-old could actually have? Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this today. Good. Okay. And we have someone who hasn't been around for a little while. They've been, you know, taking a holiday, but a home holiday. It is Callum. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm good. And I'm back with the spice. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Emma's just that. glad this isn't another Paw Patrol or Frozen episode she's having to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I've done enough uh, yoga, kids yoga this week. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> I've got to say, I, I, I don't think I've done any, I don't think I've even left my chair in my office for a week. So I've just literally got up, sat, I've done 
day work, then night work, then gone back to bed again. So uh, maybe some child's yoga could be uh, good for me. Who knows? (laughs) Before we start today, well, this is going to be a special episode, but before we start, um, I just want to remind you about the special Facebook group that we have, especially for this podcast, which is Cut to the Race on Facebook. So if you just type that in, it's a small group where you can talk with us, you can share your ideas, you can share what we talk about. And just, you know, have a chat about F1. So that is on Facebook. If you just search Cut to the Race uh, and uh, filter to groups, or if it doesn't come up, then type in Formula Nerds, etc. But we are there. Um, it'd be good to have you. So please come along, chat with us. So today, we this is a special episode where we will cover the news first, but we are going to cover the one topic that I think has been on everyone's minds for the last Six, seven years? Seven years. Is it just the car? And I would like to say that I think we all hope this will put this debate to rest finally so we don't have to moderate it on Facebook anymore, even though I know that is wishful thinking and Callum is like, no, this is doing nothing to stop the flow. It's not going to happen. If you hear anything you disagree with, weigh in. This will be your last chance. (laughs) So what we're going to talk about really, I mean, is... Does the driver even matter in F1? Is it just a machine that they're driving around? If you're in a Mercedes, will you win every race? If you're in a Williams, will you lose every race? We're going we're gonna to try and break this down into some, some different sections. But before we do, we have the news. Emma, would you like to start us off? Yeah, we, we had quite a lot of sort of rumours this week, but I'd like to kind of start off with the fact that Charles Leclerc tested positive for coronavirus this week. And what's been quite controversial about that is that it seems that he was actually holidaying while he caught it. And that's kind of got a lot of people's backs up a little bit. Not really setting an example um, to the the fans of the F1 world. Um, So, yeah, we've had Leclerc tested positive for coronavirus. There's... Also, rumour about Grosjean possibly going to IndyCar. Okay, I like that. I like that. I mean, I'm still not going to watch it, but I I, I like that he's going to have a seat. It'd be nice to see the uh, crash compilation at the end of the season, I think. (laughs) I thought thought we were over this. I thought this was finished, Cal. Not the one where he nearly dies, obviously, but, you know, just the general (laughs) being in it on his own, no one around him. They're they're funny to watch. Yes. yes. I kind of have... I won't say high expectations for Roman in IndyCar. However, if we look at the former F1 drivers that have gone to IndyCar, uh, Marcus Erickson, Stol- nope, Stoffel Van Dorn is Formula E. He was there for a while. Anyways, he's one of the higher quality drivers to come out of F1 to go there. Not saying that he's illustrious in F1. Not saying he is... What? Uh, Callum is upset with that. Is he higher quality than Fernando Alonso? Fernando Alonso, I don't even really count as going to IndyCar. He doesn't race a full season. He shows up to race any 500 to try and get his triple crown. And that, that, he still and got in an IndyCar and drove it. So he's got into IndyCar and drove it, but he only drove it for one race and didn't underwhelming results. He didn't win it. He didn't get his triple crown. And didn't he finish like 12th in one of his showings last year? Wasn't that Fernando Alonso? I, 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 the thing is, I don't know because I don't have any interest in IndyCar, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't. Oh, 
Mm. Cal's just poking holes in the side of the ship straight out the gate. Look, yeah. man, we, we, we've started a show off talking about IndyCar. This is a, a disaster waiting to happen. I think he'll do better than people are expecting. He'll definitely beat Mark Marcus Erickson. He may not be challenging for a championship, but it'll be nice to see him back in a car, and he's going to surprise some people like Callum. He's going to defy expectations. Do we know what team he's going to? I think it's Dale Coin Racing. That's looking like the most likely option for him. Okay. I hope he does well, genuinely, because it, it gives F1 a good name as well. Yeah. And he didn't finish his F1 career off in the... Well, he did finish it off on the front pages, but for the... for the. Uh... Yeah, he, he deserves a good drive, in, in, you know, in all seriousness. He went out with a bang. Oh, God, <laughs> horrible. <laughs> oh, man. Horrible man. <laughs> I'll try not to try Hayley, on that. Hayley, come and slap his head. <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is <laughs> This is a joke. Oh, dear. God. I've forgotten what it's like recording with all of you. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, okay, Emma, next. Uh, what, what else is happening in the, in the news, please? Well, the, the 2021 season hasn't got underway yet, but yet there are concerns over some of the races in the calendar already. Um, so there's talk of Monaco, Azerbaijan and Canada possibly being cancelled. Um, due to the fact that they're street circuits and um, that they actually take quite a lot of time to set up and just due to the safety restrictions, it could actually end up being cancelled. Is anyone else bothered about Monaco? No, I am definitely not bothered about Monaco. It can jog on. I understand where you guys are coming from, but I will mix it up and hit you with this. If you had to choose between Monaco or Paul Ricard, which one would you have? Paul Ricard. A week off. Get out. <laughs> Both of you. Uh, I understand that, you know, with the current designs, it's not the greatest racing, but we have to respect the history. There are so many great memories out of that track. The qualifyings are always fun to watch because they're operating on such a knife edge. And it's still kind of like the debate we had of which one's worth Sochi or uh, Abu Dhabi a couple weeks ago on the page. They're both not going to be the greatest on track action but to say that Paul Ricard is better than Monaco and deserves to be on it or Monaco we're glad to see you go uh, doesn't sit well with me right. I understand why it's the world's industry elite there but come on it's Monaco if we have to suffer through Paul Ricard give me Monaco all, all I'm going to say is if Monaco happens this year I will get a Formula Nerds tattoo there is no chance in hell it's going to happen because the, the the virus that we all know about is still spreading and you can't have these rich people sitting on the back of their boats mingling together and having parties at a time like this. They just have to do it in private rather than on the back of a boat to the um, entire world. It's just Charles! <coughs> he wasn't oh. even in Monaco, was he? But um, He is now. Yeah. Go on, Cal. First of all, if Monaco does happen, I'm going to propose that they do it in go-kart so that we actually see an overtake on track. <laughs> <laughs> I know what video you've watched, Callum, because I, I haven't saw watched it. anything. I think it's just common sense to ah, make the cars smaller. I know the video. Go. I know the video. Always going in reference. Yeah, I saw it. A certain Ferrari driver. Uh, no, no, I don't watch Ferrari videos, mate. It was um, it, it was your game up. Uh, something came up on my Facebook feed the other day, which said why go karting is better than F one, and it was this one dude. Right, it's an, it's such a good video. I'll, I'll share it. But he overtakes like the entire field on one lap um, in a, ra- a go kart race, and I thought it was um, it was pretty cool. It was probably your your, your husband Emma, but um, it was um, possibly it was, <laughs> it was a good video. I'm not sure where we've got to from um, coronavirus Monaco 
go-karts, but continue. No. But did you notice that the Chinese Grand Prix has now completely disappeared from the calendar as well? So um, there was talk of that being postponed, and I think it's now been completely cancelled. So that's that's a shame. Um, but we're, there's talk of Istanbul coming back, Mugello coming back, and the Nürburgring coming back if the Monacan, like Monaco, Azerbaijan and the Canada Grand Prix are cancelled. Um, so there's there's talk of those tracks coming back. It's so much fun watching those races last year. So I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I did miss Azerbaijan. I love that race. Um, yeah, me too. I, I really think that's quality. There's always excitement, even if Vettel's not crashing into Hamilton. It's still exciting. And um, <laughs> I just said that to wind that up, and it, it worked. F one's for adults. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the works a quote of the century there. Um, and then also Canada. Canada's always a good race as well. So I, I would miss those two. Monaco, not so much. It's also a race where Vettel crashed into Hamilton. What are you on about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He only crashed because there's nowhere to overtake. Moving on. So um, there's a possibility that Honda and Red Bull have um, reached an agreement in terms of power units um, from 2022 onwards. Red Bull would like to take over the operations um, of the engine manufacturing, so there could be an agreement brewing there. So if I've if I've got this right, this is Red Bull actually uh, approaching making their own engine. I yeah. believe so, because Honda actually don't have a works team either. Do they? They're the only manufacturer without a works team, so. It would make sense to make that happen. Well, also, there's a lot of implications behind the scenes for the other teams as well with this deal. Uh, a couple of teams have proposed that there be a engine freeze, uh, or excuse me, supported the engine freeze that they're trying to implement with Honda coming on to develop. However, Ferrari is stuck with their pants down after their abysmal performance in 2020 saying, no, 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 no. You, it, we're, we're not doing that again. Like, we've already siphoned off enough money to try and maintain relevancy so it'll be very curious to see how the other teams all come together to find a balancing act on what postponements they're going to be in the engine developments and how they're going to make this team gel and work and fall under the Red Bull corporate umbrella and become part of their technology team. Well, I'm not sure I've ever heard you talk so fast, Matt, but um, <laughs> thank you for that one. <laughs> we call him Machine Gun Matt. <laughs> it's, it's the timing, man. When I looked up and saw... I had so little time to make those points. It just became a hodgepodge porridge of nonsense coming out. <laughs> um, is there any other news that we would like to talk about? They're changing turn 10 at Barcelona. Have you guys heard about this? I, I have heard about it. We, we've reported on it. Um, I'm looking at the picture now. Hmm. And it, it doesn't look all that different. It, where, it, where can I see the picture, Cal? Let's have a look. On our website, on our article based on this topic, the actual straight leading into the turn looks to be extended. And then so the this turn... is the last turn on the on the circuit. Let's just let's just paint the picture here. No, turn ten mm, isn't the last no. So, turn. No, no, right, no. It's, it's the one no, before no, no. the last one. It's it? normally the last turn I see at the beginning of the fifth lap at Barcelona because by then I'm just sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no. I was going to say it's normally the turn that I see before I fall asleep. It, I don't remember looks... many Barcelona Grand Prix because I'm never awake to watch them. Right, just, just Basically, the turn looks like the straights that both connect them have been extended, therefore making the turn not as harsh. They've sort of sloped it round a bit. 
a bit more. The later breaking zone is really all they've instituted there. There's a later breaking zone, and you get onto the straight a bit, um, a bit earlier the next straight. By the looks of it, I see. Right, and and this is due to safety changes, right? That's what they said. Yeah, I didn't think it was unsafe before. I know it doesn't look unsafe. If anything, it's safer the way it was because there's more braking. Yeah, they've actually extended the break. They've made the braking zone larger but that would encourage people to break later in my head okay is this an attempt to make it more exciting do you think god i hope so they have a lot more work to do (laughs) (laughs) hopefully (laughs) when they resurface it it's going to be a bit like turkey so once they get to that last turn it will just be bottas spinzo a longer straight (laughs) with a shorter (laughs) runoff area and a slippery tarmac and we did this for safety safety reasons (laughs) yeah (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Is there anything else in the news? There's the rich energy chat. William Story is obviously making his comeback to F1, which uh, it's not going so well so far for him, is it? I mean, he's getting the publicity, but I thought there was no meant to be an announcement him. this week. Just well, the week that we're in wasn't there, but I, uh, all I saw it was wasn't a... related to F1. Uh, yeah, he yeah. teased that they were going to be releasing. I think it was a new rider for his OMG racing team for, is it British Superbike or MotoGP? There's something to do with bikes. It, it's motorcycle racing. Mm, yeah, uh, however, we received a tease from Mr. Story that there will be an F1 announcement coming in the beginning of February. Yeah, we've we've actually been in talks with him on Twitter. Our Twitter guy is a god, and um, he talks to a lot of people. And William Story has told him that he's making an announcement on the 1st of Feb. He can't give us anything before that. But it also came out this week that F1 teams have denied holding talks with him. So, basically, whoever's partnering with him doesn't want to admit it. They're, they're quite embarrassed about this. What well, would you? Is what I'm getting from it. Any guesses as to who it may be? I mean, he keeps on putting hashtag British performance. Williams, his, maybe? Everyone's well, thinking Williams, I think. I would have said that Here's, before. Dar, dar, dar. dar. Dorilton. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is I, it Dorilton or Darrell no Dorilton? You Doritos. can't say it without the American swang, we found. Dorilton. Hey, we're Dorilton. Do you want to give us some money so we can run this here race car up at the podium a little bit? I mean, shoot, fire. We've just so underdeveloped the last five years. Car run good, but car ain't fast. We don't need to have any good arrow, and I just need some more sponsors and money. You <laughs> and got them fancy-looking energy drink cans. I bet they'll cost a buck, don't they, buddy? <laughs> so, for the listeners, this is how Matt normally talks when he's not doing his podcast voice. He's just, uh, <laughs> he's just, he's I just channeled the spirit of my ancestors in the NASCAR realm on the whole for that. You yeah, sounded uh, like Mater from Disney Cars. <laughs> she is your name Mater too. <laughs> I think if Williams was not under new management, there is no way it would be Williams because when the first sponsorship deal came out for Rich Energy with Haas, he actually left Claire Williams and a couple of the directors waiting at a restaurant in Texas. Uh, he just did not show up to the meeting. So I would say it's not them. However. With the teaser of British Motorsport, Doralton is being very, very smart about their investment strategies, not trying to revamp everything at once, and being very incremental in their investiture for the car. It could make sense as long as there's actually money behind it. Alpine released their winter livery this week as well. What did we all think of that? <sighs> it's crap, wasn't it? It's what I will boring. say is 
someone one someone commented on our Facebook post about this, and they just nailed it. And I hadn't seen it, which was it just looks like the Hass logo with the A and the S chopped. Uh, sorry, the H and the S chopped off. Um, yeah, did a bit, and it really does. Like yeah, that old adage when you're in school: "Can I copy your homework?" Yeah, just change it a little bit so it doesn't look like we did. Mm, Mercedes and uh, Racing Point know about that, don't they? But why would you copy Haas? Is my question. It's only their logo. It's not the car on the whole. <laughs> let's let's hopefully. hope not. <laughs> we have been in contact with William Story, and uh, we are trying our best to get him on the show for an interview. But um, I think until this this news comes out regarding who the F1 person is or a- anything's a bit more confirmed, we're, we are waiting in the queue. I'm going to volunteer to not be on this show. One, because he's got a really big beard, and I don't think I'd be able to not ask him about that. and He'd probably get annoyed with me. But two... I think it's best I don't ask him about Haas. He's, uh, he'll probably shout at me a little bit. I don't know. I think it would be... I am very, very intrigued at the prospect of getting William Story's version of what happened at Haas. Oh, yeah. I'm saying ask the question, just not me doing it. I'll, I'll upset him some way, somehow. I know it. See it coming. We're going to take a quick break. After that, we will be back with the discussion. Is it just the car? See you on the other side. So welcome back. On this episode, we are going to have a discussion about the topic. Is it just the car? So this is something that we've, since our creation, we've we've just always heard, especially through the Hamilton dominance. It's just because the car's good, right? I mean, uh, will you guys agree with me on that? That we've heard it? Absolutely. That we agree with it? No. Yeah, I'm on the fence, though. Okay. You don't look like it, but okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> was, was it the response you're hoping for there was it okay so emma we've had dominance in f1 before um just before we started this show we did a little bit of research so the the, the key ones that spring to mind is sort of the ferrari dominance the red bull dominance and now the mercedes dominance but they're actually quite different aren't they Yeah, so we'll start with Ferrari. So the Ferrari dominance was between 1999 and and 2004. And obviously, when you think about that era, you think of Michael Schumacher. Oh, yeah. The GOAT. And then the second era of dominance, you had Red Bull, which was from 2010 to 2013. And obviously, the driver would be Sebastian Vettel. And... This era, the the hybrid era from 2014 to current season would be Mercedes. Now, it's quite interesting when we were doing this research, we looked at the percentage of races won. And when you look at it in that stat, you've got Red Bull at 51.9% of races won, Ferrari at 67% of races won, and Mercedes at 74% of races won, which so Mercedes and Ferrari are, are quite close together in terms of the dominance in their era, how many races they actually converted into wins. Um, Red Bull was, as Callum and I were, were agreed that the Red Bull era we thought was 
was a lot more exciting um, than what the um, Mercedes and Ferrari eras were. So what what are your thoughts on this? I, I'm going to jump in here, but and I agree with Emma. The, the Red Bull era was a lot more exciting for me because they weren't as dominant, meaning that if they only won 51% of the races, that means a lot of a lot of teams were actually challenging them and being closer to them than Mercedes have had and Ferrari had. And I think that's the sort of racing we want to watch and we all need to see because F1's getting this, especially the last seven years, it's getting this notorious sort of name for itself, which is they follow Hamilton and it's done there. I will say this, though, for everybody that looks back fondly on the Red Bull years, obviously I was a fan of a certain driver at that time. And we always went hear the whinging about, oh, Lewis Hamilton just wins everything. Well, that's also when the record for the most consecutive wins by a driver was captured by Sebastian Vettel. So it's almost like there's a sense of nostalgia tainting the actual reality of those seasons. But however, in the same breath, those races were closer for the championship standings at the end because the midfield was so much more compact to that car. Right. So my question is, okay, if Red Bull weren't as dominant as Mercedes, so if they're winning, what was it, uh, Emma, 50% of the races, give or take? Yeah, Red Bull, 51.9, yeah. Who who was that 49%? Because were they actually doing a lot better than the Red Bull? Now, this is where that is it the car debate's going to come in because I remember Red Bull being completely dominant in that era, but clearly they weren't. Well, no, they were 51% dominant. <laughs> yes, yes. But my question is, who was the 49%? Even though Red Bull, it, it was 51% of races, I think they had um, a lot of 1-2 finishes. So if they had a Red Bull win a race, you'd have the number two car in second place, essentially. Let's just take a very quick look at the 2010 driver standings. So obviously, I'm biased. You know, Sebastian Vettel was the winner that year with 256 points. In second place was not Mark Webber. He was actually third with 242. It was Fernando Alonso with McLaren with 252. So he only won by, Sebastian Vettel only won by four points that year. Lewis Hamilton was in fourth with 240 at Mercedes, which is the beginning of the ascension, as we all know. And then Jensen Button with Renault drops all the way down to 214. There were only 16 points separating the top four finishers in the drivers that year. However, it drops off significantly from there. And that's all the number ones of those teams, with the exception of Mark Webber in third behind Sebastian Vettel. I think that's why me and Emma think that was more exciting. Am I right? Because yeah, you don't see that now. Verstappen has been the closest thing this year and last year. And it's just, it's not as fun to watch for me as it was back then. I still watch it because I'm a, a lover of F1, but... I would give anything to see four, five, six teams competing for a podium or even a race win every single weekend. That would just make it so much better. It separates the men from the boys then. Well, so, also, very quickly, I misspoke and said Fernando Alonso and McLaren, I think. We all know he's driving for Ferrari that year. I think you do have the different series where um, you know you have the equal playing field, right? And then it's very, very easy to see which driver is the best because you're driving the same car all you can do is adjust the setup based on what the driver says but as we know f1 isn't an equal playing field um but what is an equal playing field is the driver's got to drive the car so they've got to be an absolute expert on driving they are also there to feedback on testing the car um 
They work with their engineers to obviously develop that car further. And we're not just talking about a a front wing change. We're talking about actual progression of the car. They're also there to build and shape the team that works around them. Um, And let's be honest, they're there to build the brand. So they make that team more attractive. So Lewis Hamilton brings a load of sponsors to the team, which gives them the money to then develop the car even further. So the driver has many different roles other than just driving the car in F1. The driver is also instrumental on what engineers you're going to bring to the team. You're not going to want to bring in, or if you're that engineer that is the top of the game, the pinnacle, the innovator, the one that has all the good ideas, if I'm that man, I'm not going to go develop for Antonio Giovinazzi. Sorry, just won't happen. You have to have that appealing package of both the brand recognition, the competitiveness on track, the intelligence to know what needs to happen and change with the car, but they can also build their engineering strategy around the tendencies of that driver as well. So there's there's been a lot of talk about Lewis Hamilton only winning because he's in Mercedes. We know this, okay? This is just the, the daily talk in F1. And there's also been a lot of talk about comparing him to Bottas and saying Bottas is uh, not as good as Lewis. That's why he always comes second. But actually, if the car was the greatest car in the world, they'd be finishing 1-2 every race, wouldn't they? Um, you wouldn't have someone else in a different team beating him. Uh, and and in, there has been seasons where Max Verstappen has beaten Bottas in, in, in the Mercedes. And one statistic that I, I really enjoyed doing this research was in the last 20 F1 seasons, there has been a different car finishing in the second position in the championship to the one that won the championship. So by that, I mean a Mercedes won, but a Mercedes didn't come second. It was a different car. Um, so 14 out of 20 times. Now, that shows you surely that it is not just the car. 100%. 100%. Bottas just isn't on Hamilton's level. Gasly and Albon weren't on Verstappen's level. Vettel, this last couple of seasons, hasn't been on Leclerc's level. It's just that simple. And at that point, for me, it definitely becomes the driver. You could put two Bottas standard drivers in the Mercedes. Mercedes might not have won the championship. If Hamilton had been in the Red Bull with Verstappen, I'm pretty positive that Red Bull would have won the championship. So what you're saying is it's not... It's not that anyone could have won in the Mercedes. It's that Lewis won in the Mercedes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the fastest car, but I also think that the Red Bull is close enough in performance so that Hamilton could use his powers to uh, make that become a title-winning car. I really do believe that. At the end of the day, the driver is also there to help transform the car. So when you look at what Schumacher did in the Ferrari, you know, you see what Vettel did in the Red Bull and you see what Hamilton has done in the Mercedes. You know, all of those three drivers, very dominant drivers, they have transformed their car. They've developed their car. They've pushed it forward. They've helped move it forward as well. So it's it's about the caliber of driver that you put in that chair as well. I think the other way that you can look at this, um, I may need some assistance from a Red Bull fan here, but um, if we look at car failures and how they affect championships, so this is when you can say, actually, is it just the car? So me being a Hamilton fan, I could say that in 2007, uh, Hamilton didn't win the championship because of the car and the car failed, as we know, in Brazil on the last lap. 
Um, we will go into the conspiracy of that on another show. Um, but also in 2016, when his car broke down, he didn't win the championship because of that. So is it just the car? By this, I'm, I'm looking at Max Verstappen because he's had a lot of car failures. If you, you, know, you look at the title this season in the Drivers' Championship, forget about the cars a second, Verstappen was very, very, very close to beating Bottas outright. Now, I think Verstappen had five DNFs. Um, some of those were driver error on the other driver's parts and some were right reliability. If the reliability issues were sorted and he had a bit of better luck going into, say, turn one on certain corners, I think he would have taken Bottas 100%. Touching on Emma's statement about the driver transforming the car, uh, I don't want to screw up my quote here, but the late, great Nicky Lauda talked about God gave me an okay mind, but a really good ass, which can feel everything in a car. It takes that sort of intelligence to understand how everything works in concert to make the car to where it could be just the car. No car on the grid is there yet. It took somebody with Lewis Hamilton's technical expertise and precision to help build that car along with Nicky Lauda's fantastic ass to get it to the point that it's at now. There is one season I can recall where the car came in, dominated and left, and that is 2009 when Braun came in. I don't know how they got it right or what they did, but they came into the F1 with that car, nailed it, won the championship and left. But even then there was a big, big gap between the two cars, right? Oh yeah, 100%. But you know, in that instance, it can't be the driver feeding back information because you can't turn a car around in one season, can you? You can't start off the first three races in a Haas and Magnussen says, oh, this is wrong with it, and it gets sorted out and they're winning by the end of the season. It doesn't work like that. No, but they, Ferrari can kill a car in a season. Well, yeah, but you know you know what I'm saying. It's, yeah, yeah. That's the only season I can recall where the car was ready-made. Like The rest of it is purely driver feeding back to the engineers it has to be okay so if if it's all about the driver let's flip it around it's not about the car what on earth happened to sebastian vettel his head fell out of his ass sebastian vettel may have been begging a better car at red bull so a bit louder please for the for the listeners i said sebastian vettel may have had a better car at red bull and ferrari fucked him <laughs> thank you i point out that at ferrari Vettel had Leclerc as a teammate and Leclerc got more out of that car than a four-time world champion. By far. So I what, think... So in that case, what you're saying is that Vettel is not as good a driver as Leclerc. In that car. He hasn't been for the past two seasons. Or is it three? No, it's two. Two. But you could say that Leclerc is one of the few drivers that comes in with that natural raw talent, you know he's quick and whatever you put him in. He was quick in the alpha. And the same can be said for Max Verstappen. The, can, the same can be said for Lewis when he first came. There, there is certain drivers that make any car look fast. So in, in defence to Vettel, that he, he's up against a kid that is a future world champion and he will dominate in years to come. I will also say that Sebastian Vettel had the chance to win the World Drivers' Championship a couple of years in Ferrari, there were incidents, wrecks, bad stops, whatever you want to put it down to, that they gave it away. Illegal engines. 
<laughs> well, that, those were some of the years we had a shot. Uh, this last year, however, not only is it a combination of that car did not suit him, uh, we have to keep everything in the mindset and the framing of Sebastian Vettel's intentions when he went to Ferrari. He was brought there to bring the drivers back to Ferrari. He failed. As much as I love him to death, full stop. And that's not all on him, but at the end of the day, he's the guy in the cockpit. Uh, it did not happen. So that pressure, the amount of money they are paying him to make that a reality, weighs on him. The tension's going to be there, and that has to start eating at your confidence. And then you throw in a Charles Leclerc who lights the world on fire and is blitzing you in the car you can't drive. Uh, he fell apart. As I love him to death, he fell apart. One thing I will say is that Red Bull seem to be very good at specifically designing a car around a driver. So when Vettel was winning, the car was specifically designed around his abilities and his. it was there to pick up on his flaws and the things he was good at, it was excellent at. The same is there for Max Verstappen right now. So in that sense, it is partly the car, isn't it? Because it's designed for him. Whereas the Ferrari... Charles Leclerc's the next guy in. He, they're not going to not design the car around him. Do you know what I mean? I think that there might be another dimension that, that people forget to add into this argument. So you've got, you've got the car, you've got the driver, but none of that happens without the team. So do we need to be saying, is it the team? When I was looking into how Mercedes have been so dominant and how they managed to get it right from the offset of the hybrid era, it is down to teamwork. It really is. It's how much they're being proactive with the development of the car against the other teams. It's the extra hours uh, that they're putting in to getting that car to where it needs to be. So I think teamwork and the people back at the factories um, is really a massive part of this as well. But then you could obviously argue, I'm just being devil's advocate here, that Mercedes have the biggest team, therefore they're going to create the greatest car. Um, I think I've just taken the words out of your mouth there, Callum, haven't I? You have, yeah. What, what I was going to say as well is that not only do they have the biggest team, they make sure that each person in that team is the best. So they have people in positions Haas don't even, haven't even invented yet and they're already better at it. That's the way you've got to compare that. If... Everything was on a level playing field in terms of team, factory, operation, and then it was simply down to the car being built and the driver, we'd see a different thing completely. Basically, Mercedes is a works team, though, and we're talking about them assembling the car. Not only are they making their own power unit in-house, they're making their gearboxes, they're making their hydraulics, they're making their control modules. Everything is built around that power unit. Williams only gets the power unit and makes everything else their own and kind of hodgepodges it together. So not only, which is actually one of the deals, I don't know if you guys saw, where Mercedes is extending it to Williams in 2022, they would be supplying those components. Another discussion for another day. However, the other thing I'll talk about very quickly is the disparity between the one and two with the way the teams are managed. Let's say Valtteri had a multi-21 incident with Lewis Hamilton. How do you think that would be handled by Toto Wolff? I'm sorry, repeat the question. <laughs> the multi-21 incident where Sebastian Vettel causing a potential calamity on track. If Valtteri Botas ignored a team order and overtook Lewis Hamilton, how would that be handled by Mercedes? I think it depends on the outcome at the end of the race. If 
Bottas overtakes Lewis against team orders, then dominates and wins the race, where's their argument? If he overtakes, spins off into a corner, also taking out Lewis, then, you know, I think he's going to get a bit of a bollocking. You shouldn't, you shouldn't disobey team orders. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but at the same time, if they think they can win, they overtake and they prove it, the team has to then look at it and think, mm, we probably should have told him to overtake. And here lies the difference. Mercedes, as long as they can win, don't care how it happens. With these other teams, if you think Ferrari would not come unhinged at somebody disobeying direct orders, which let's not forget the time Rubens Barrichello was forced to give away a win to Michael Schumacher, that would be an unholy hellfire descending on them. So I think it's a difference in the mindset of the leadership in those teams as well. It could be another disparaging factor for everybody else versus Mercedes. You've got to remember, though, that Ferrari have been around for literally the beginning of time when it comes to F1. And they have been dominant. They haven't been dominant, but they have been a presence since the beginning. They know what they're... Well, they used to know that what they were doing. And they're, they're not going to change their ways. And I argued this, I think, previously in a podcast I might have done, is that they will never change their philosophy on straight line speed. They're so stubborn, they're so stuck in their ways, and this is why they're slowly but surely deteriorating because they're not getting with the times. All right, I'm just, I've, got to th- I've just got to throw in a new dimension into this. Like, I've just got to mix this, add some spice. Um, you've got big difference in teams. So we know that Williams could never compete with Mercedes, okay? I think we'd all agree on that. Uh, well, in the current era, just a little asterisk there. But how come George Russell comes from P19 and then arguably is the fastest driver on the grid in a Mercedes? How is that not the car? Raw talent. Now, George Russell getting into that car is a show of his talent. Nothing more. Nothing less. It, the car's good. Obviously, it's better than a Williams, but he was showing that any driver on the grid can get into the fastest car and drive it and drive it well. But at the same time, there is that line between a good car and a good driver. So then how do we explain George Russell having the sixth fastest Sector 3 time at Monza this year? In a Williams. Oh, do you know what? Sadie's engine. Mm. I'm going to go and refill my drink. I'm going to go and empty my bladder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break on that. Let's leave... Um, Let's leave the minds thinking about George Russell and the magician that he is, okay? Uh, we'll be back on the other side. So nobody try wipe the smile off my face And give it a go, you might just like the touch They're telling me I should be giving it up But honestly, I don't think I love to find something better So we are back from our uh, break, and Matt has had a little moment to pull together some George Russell information to, to explain why he is the driver that he is. So, Matt, I'm going to hand it straight over to you. 
I am literally only going to read off two different races sector times okay. and where George Russell fell in those races, and I will let you two debate it to the death. Okay. So the first race I want us to all think about was the British Grand Prix last year. The first one. Okay. George Russell was in a Williams, and he had faster sector times than Daniel Kvyat, who was in an Alpha Tauri in sector one. I'm just going to shut you down and say that's not that impressive. Hold on. Okay. Well, considering the performance of those two cars, it should be. Should it not? But Williams are on home ground. I mean, Alpha Tauri. Let's put it this way then. This year, that's, yes, they did with Pierre Gasly. It's not a slow car. Okay, right. I'm just so playing Tempest Advocate, Matt. Sorry, you can try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm trying. <laughs> so George Russell and Williams, like you say, home track for lack of a better phrase, was the 16th, 17th, and 13th fastest sector times in sectors one, two, and three. Put him in the Mercedes, the Secure Grand Prix. Sector two, second fastest sector time behind mm-hmm. Valtteri Botas. Mm-hmm. He was literally two thousandths of a second behind him. Excuse me, two hundredths of a second behind him. Sector three, he was the second fastest sector three behind Max Verstappen. He was faster than Valtteri Botas in sector three in essentially the same car with one week, and he was only one hundredth of a second off Max Verstappen. Then we get to sector one. Valtteri Botas was second fastest. Carlos Sainz whoop, whoop, was the fastest sector, sector one and secure. Uh, would you like to guess where George Russell came? 20th. No. <laughs> Eighth. I don't understand. Yeah, what, what's your point? Make Here's your point. my point. Why would he be the second fastest in sectors two and three and then the eighth fastest in sector one? If it is not down to the driver, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still not sure I get it. Let me let me break it down, Barney style, like of Barney the, the purple dinosaur, Barney. Yes. Okay. Cool. I can relate. Two thirds of the track on the Bahrain outer loop, which is what Secure was. He was the second fastest. I got that bit. But why, if it's just the car, why was he not second fastest in sector one? What suddenly changed in the car? To make him ah. not uncompetitive, but so much worse in sector one. Sorry, I thought that you was your argument was was pro George Russell here rather than the the, the proof it's, that the car. It's not is... so much. It's not so much anti George Russell. It's saying that the driver is still the ultimate instrument of a racing team. So if it is just the driver, or excuse me, just the car, he would have been competitive in all three sectors. He was. But maybe he doesn't like the first sector. Maybe it's just not his. He thing, doesn't like, like him. Mate, it's, <laughs> You see drivers peaking in different sectors all the time. For example, why was Carlos Sainz fastest in sector three? Why was he fastest there and not in sectors two or three? And see, because of driver style, driver influence. Let's see. Sector two, Carlos Sainz was seventh. Sector three, Carlos Sainz was 11th. Okay. So you're going to be fastest in the first sector, and I'm not. I'm just using him as my example because everybody loved, and we're talking about the Mercedes car. You're picking on my George. I'm not picking on George. I'm saying George could have done better in sector one. No, but I get the, what you're saying. So what we're saying yeah. then is the McLaren was better set up for sector one. 
I yes, yeah, I think that's the argument here that the Mercedes wasn't thought about for sector one as much as it was sectors two and three, which was the high speed rightly, sectors, right? So, so Mercedes yeah. went for high speed. Sector two was like the most intricate but fast paced part of the track, if I remember correctly. Um, sector three was quite pacey too. Sector one, you obviously had the deep braking zone that we see in the regular Bahrain GP, so that would explain mm-hmm. it. The and that could be a difference in differently. Brake balance, front to rear. There's a bunch that could have factored into that, but it's not. I just also the car. have the argument that Russell wasn't used to the car. He'd only had a it week was not. in it. That's fair. Bottas is used to the brakes of that car. So going into the first corner where it is the heaviest braking zone on the circuit, George was probably braking a little bit earlier to make sure that he got round the corner without locking up. I would put that down to that purely. Because the rest of the track is basically flat out, go for it. What I would put it down to here is that Mercedes have set the car up for sectors two and three. And that when it came to sector one, George wasn't as confident on the brakes as Valtteri was, which should be the case. Valtteri had been driving it for four years. Um, and I think, obviously, sectors two and three, the reason that George wasn't fastest in both is because, again... Valtteri is, he's not a slow driver. Let's let's get that out in the open. He's not a slow driver. Fair. Fair. But George Russell isn't used to the car yet. You give George Russell the same amount of time in that car as Valtteri had, you know what I mean? The, the, the factors aren't the same there. So how would we then, let's say we were the directors of F1, if we wanted to turn this into a sport where we could find out who is the best driver without necessarily uh, stripping cash away or taking um, making it unfair on the teams? Because essentially the teams are there to be competitive. That's the reason that you've got Mercedes there. That's the reason you've got Ferrari there, right? It's a battle. If we wanted to find out with the current sort of setup of F1, who is the best driver? How on earth would we find out? Basically, you have 20 teams. No, sorry, 10 teams, 20 drivers. 20 drivers are contracted with Formula One, not the teams. And each race, they rotate to the next team, meaning that they would, if there was 20 races, race in each car twice. There'd be two cars still for each team, obviously. That way, everyone has a go in each car twice. We find out who's the best driver at the end of it because they've all been in the same car at different points of the season. You so, can't argue that that would bring the best driver to the top. So, that, so, so based on that, every driver's raced every car. They've had a fair rotation, and the driver that scored the most points is the best driver because they've done that in every car. Yeah, and on the flip side, you would also find out which is the best car because not the same driver is using it every single race weekend. So then, the the, the manufacturer that wins the championship would be fair and square because they've done it with every driver as well. Yeah, exactly. So all the drivers use all the same cars. All the cars have the same drivers in them. At the end of the season, you're going to come out with the best driver and the best car. Take away bad luck and everything like that in certain races, it would even itself out over the course of the season. Matt is pondering with thought. Let's bring him in. Or, bear with me here, why don't we just make it a spec series? Because that would that would defy the whole point of Formula One, wouldn't it? It would defy the whole point of Formula One. But that's honestly the only way to say 
definitively, it is the driver. Or we do it the way we just said, which is better. <laughs> but a spec series would make it much more feasible to do legally and financially. Now, I'm not saying do this. Bear that in mind. But that's the simplest way. We could literally slap the 20 drivers from the current Formula One grid into freaking Mini Coopers. And we could find out who the best driver is. But you won't find out who the best car is. But we're not worried about the car. We're about it. Well, actually, we are. We're saying, is yes, it just the this car? Whole, this whole argument is, is it the car uh, or is it the driver? If I'm you're focusing on the drivers, discussed. make it... Yeah, if you're focusing on a driver, make it a spec series. If you're going to say the car plays a hand in it or should play a hand in it, like the F1 does, then you have to do the ro- the round robin. Exactly. There's, there's also, the board. There, there, there's another way that you can do yeah, this. You may have. Um, if you look at... All drivers, they don't just end up in Formula One, do they? You know, this is a long career progression. That's a lifelong. Exactly. And and if you are the best of the absolute best or rich, you end up in Formula One. So my point here is <laughs> you just look at their performance in the lower categories where they were in the spec cars, i.e. GP2, GP3, uh, sorry, F2 and F3. Um, and you look at their performance in those series. So we know that some drivers have finished fourth in the championship and then made it into F1. Some have won it, come into F1. But all you do is you sit back and watch their races from the from those series. Cal? That is true. What I will say on that is not all of them raced each other. Yep. Um, and people like, you know, you've got your wonder kids like Max Verstappen, who I believe came straight from F3 into F1. I think he skipped F2 altogether. I'm not sure. We might have to check that, but I'm pretty sure that happened. You also have, yeah, you had George Russell was the F2 yeah. champion. That's it. Lando in- was second, I believe, wasn't he? I believe so. The inverse side of that, I think all they actually got that little blurb about if you're good or have money backwards, because we have poor Callum Eilat, who had a fantastic season in F2, looking at Voldemort driving for Haas, going that should have been me. God, we made it the whole episode without mentioning bloody Voldemort until now. Mm-hmm. Well done, man. Well done. Yeah, ruined but, it for everyone. But your point is absolutely right. You know, we've, we've got pure racing talent there. And what I like is on our Facebook, everyone knows it. It's, it's not like it's, it's we're, we're, Formula One fans now are just Formula One fans. We know who should have that seat. We know it's Callum Eilat. Um, but he doesn't not have Voldemort. it. So we can't... I think what we're actually saying here is that it's pretty easy to say in that case that Callum would be the better driver. Yes, I would. <laughs> Therefore, did we just did we just answer our own question with this long roundabout? Mm. I want I want to hear you say it, Ollie. I'm not going to say shit, man. <laughs> what Basically. do you want to hear me say? What do you want to hear me say? Come on, you say it. It is not just the car. It is the way F1 is constructed as a business. To allow them to have the dominant car with the dominant driver, with the dominant team, with the dominant financial backing, get used to it. I will, I will round up this 
this this special episode with with my opinion because I do have an opinion on it. Um, I've tried to be uh, equal to both sides, and um, my opinion is that the best teams have the best drivers for a reason. Now that is why Ferrari had Vettel. That is why Mercedes have Hamilton. That clip that why... he said. Clip that he said. Vettel's a good driver. Somebody get that. <laughs> that is why um, Red Bull have Verstappen. You bring the best drivers into the best teams to then excel, and that unfortunately is why I believe we have such big gaps between the teams now. Because if it was a level playing field uh, in terms of teams, and the teams were a lot closer, um, which it has been in the past, you would see. For example, George Russell, who we know is a talent, you'd see him at the top of the grid if the teams were closer. But what you've got is you've got Lewis Hamilton, who's got uh, so many years of experience. He, No matter what anyone says, I, I really don't care. Hate me all you want. But he brings a lot to Mercedes. And without him, Mercedes wouldn't be where they are. Fact. I don't care what anyone says. And without says. him there to draw in the engineers that have helped them. Exactly. So I think, unfortunately, it's it's a catch-22 where you have found the best drivers in the seats of the best cars. Now, there is an exception, which is the number two drivers. Um, but I will now hand it over to Callum to give me his thoughts on the matter. I'm going to agree with Ollie. I think there's, there's arguments from both sides, isn't there? 100% there's arguments from both sides. I think if we, halfway through the season, here's, here's my take on it, if halfway through the season, didn't matter where you were in the championship or how well the cars were doing. <laughs> That's just my thoughts. So, um, Cal, what do you take on the matter? I agree with you. I think you can't say it's either the car or the driver at any point. There is definitely factors for both sides that increase the chances of winning. If you're in a Mercedes you've got more chance of winning than if you're in a Williams. There's just straight facts there. But at the same time, if you're in a Mercedes and you're, say, Daniel Kvyat, you're not as likely to win the race as you are if you're Lewis Hamilton. So there is the fine line between talent and good car. And we're never going to get that out of the system. The F1 won't ever change that. They're not ever going to have the cars on an equal playing field. They're trying to bring it closer, but they'll never be exactly equal because that defeats the object of the sport. So we're never going to find out, is it the draw? It, is it the jar? <laughs> is it the car or is it the driver? They're never going to, we're never going to know. And we're also never going to see Giovinazzi driving for Mercedes because Mercedes aren't going to spend their budget on him, are they? It's that simple. So when you argue that... Oh, but oh, put 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 uh, put Kvyat in 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 the Mercedes. It's it's just not realistic. If you were Mercedes, you wouldn't do it. And I think people need to take a step back and maybe just think in in business terms about this. If if you Toto Wolf, you're not going to sign one of them. So what's the point in even having the conversation? You're going to pick who you believe is the absolute best. And I think. To give you an example, George Russell has proven that throughout his career, which is why he's now on that development program. Correct. And to all these people who say Lewis Hamilton is a seven-time world champion because of the car, a big portion of it is to do with the car. But at the same time, if he wasn't Lewis Hamilton, he wouldn't be a seven-time world champion. And he wouldn't be in the car. (laughs) You have to have the the best driver with the best car combo, I guess you should say. You want to have the best that you can make happen. 
And history proves that. Look at Schumacher at Ferrari. Look at Vettel at Red Bull. It's a very easy combination to make. And if I you think, don't make that combination, you're not going to win. Simple as that. Eddie Irvine did not bring Ross Braun to Ferrari. You know what I mean? I think to, to, to end this episode, I think there's been some really great points. I really do. And uh, I hope our listeners have, have you know had your own thoughts on it and agreed with some of ours. But what I am excited about is that we've actually got a sport now where we're going to be leveling. We're going to be bringing those, the gaps between the teams closer. And by that, I mean, Williams shouldn't be, they may for a while, but they, they won't be three seconds a lap behind. And what you're going to see there is you're going to see these up and coming, really talented drivers given a chance. I'm talking Verstappen. I'm talking Leclerc. I'm talking Russell. I'm talking Norris. And then hopefully we can see these real talents show us what they're about. Yeah, 100%. We all want to see Red Bull 2010 again with Red Bull winning. Well, no, I I, no, no. Uh, sorry, mate. Sorry. Um, uh, outtake. The, the point I'm making is we want to see Red Bull winning by 50% rather than Mercedes winning 70%. Absolutely. I, can, I think we can all agree on that is that we don't want to see so much dominance. We don't mind a team winning. We don't mind a driver winning a few seasons on the trot. We want it to be earned. We want it to be earned. And we don't want the gap to be so big that it makes it boring. We want Red Bull to challenge them and even dominate on certain tracks. Like Austria is their home track. I would love to see Red Bull dominate that track. But because the Mercedes is so well developed, it's dominant everywhere. And that's down to Lewis Hamilton giving feedback, the engineers they've brought in. It's the combinations that make it a world championship. It's not just driver, it's not just car. And everyone needs to, to understand that. And, and I think if we're talking qualifying pace, right, the, the, the cars are much more evenly matched when we're talking flat out one lap. Now, what I'm saying is compare that to an entire race and then you see the big differences. So um, I wish these two would stop pulling fucking faces at me. Bastards. Uh, let me start that again. <laughs> you fully succeeded in putting me off. Um, you're Mission muted, accomplished. Callum, you muted. <laughs> <laughs> when we look at qualifying pace versus race pace is where we see the big difference because over a lap, Red Bull can get very close to Mercedes. Uh, you know, we've seen racing points on... on uh, you know, on pole position, it's when we get into a race and Mercedes can really just hold that, the car can handle it. It can handle all of those laps. It can handle the overheating or underheating. It can cool. It can manage tyres. The others can't. And that's where I personally believe the big difference is. Um, so if we could see that Red Bull being able to handle those conditions better, we might see a bit more racing. But I think, Cal, you, you know, you might have just summed it up brilliantly, which is we just want to see some racing, man. And we just want to see... Drivers fighting for position. That's that's why we're here. I, I I would rather Max Verstappen win every time as long as there's a fight. I'm so glad you said that. I love Verstappen. But yeah, the, the point we're making here is that we're getting bored of as as much as I'm British and as much as I love Lewis Hamilton, I'm getting bored of it now. It's earned, it is definitely earned, but I want the whole sport on the whole. To, to bunch up a little bit to make it 
Norris winning every now and then, Perez winning every now and then, you know, people like Giovinazzi getting on the podium in a rare race, fair enough, but it might happen. That's what we want to see. I think we all want to see, there's so many people talking about, oh, the midfield battle, which was incredible last year and a lot of fun to watch. Can you imagine if the front runners were that close? If the lead of the race was as tight as the midfields where you don't have to quantify or like give a addendum to this was awesome as long as you watched the middle 10 cars we 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 have fallen in love with a a sport which is different to many others when you think about football you've got a a pitch you've got a ball and you've got 11 players right with pads and a goal post right Exactly. Um, not pads if you're talking uh, English football, no, mate. But um, oh, oh, that football. <laughs> but in F1, you do not have um, those consistencies. And unfortunately, if you're listening to this podcast, you're an F1 fan, which means we sort of just have to deal with it. Um, and we have to give appreciate the best of what we've got. So that's my final thoughts on the matter. Uh, uh, Cal, Matt, is there anything else you would um, you would like to finish on? I hope Verstappen wins the 2021 season. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. I hope I don't think Sebastian Vettel wins a race at Aston Martin to remind people who he is. But at the end of the day, Mercedes fan or not, you have to give credit where credit is due. They've built it. They've done it. No amount of Facebook whinge is going to change it. Exactly. Should, should we say, uh, as an end to this episode, is it the car or driver? It's both. It's both. I'd say it's both. Yeah, it is. It is both. It is the combination of car, of an driver, and team. Surprise! You got a you it got a, a trick answer. No, but you you can't have one without the other. You 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 can't have a car without wheels. Same thing, right? Terrible. Well, unless you're Lewis Hamilton, he did it with three. <laughs> unless you're Lewis, then maybe that just explains it is just the driver. <laughs> I am going to apologise to the the listeners of this podcast for going in for the best part of an hour to find out that we can't actually answer your question so you've we can't give you this hour back but hopefully you learned something along the way very well said and and if you don't already please head over to our podcast facebook group it is called cut to the race by the formula nerds if you just type in cut to the race or you just type in formula nerds you'll find it um, join us on there you we have to approve you so you need to be legit. You can't be a bot. You can't be an alien. Um, we only have good people there that want to talk about F1. So please come along. You know, you might even chat to Matt. Who knows? God, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. <laughs> but basically, basically, if you want to hear us discuss something more in depth or you want an opinion dissected, make this podcast your own. That's why we have that there. We built this to have fun and talk to each other, but also for the fans. We want to know what the musings are in the F1 world. So come let us know. Tell us what you want us to talk. Tell us what you want to see us argue and fall out with each other over, and it'll happen. It will. So um, thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week. We have got some really exciting guests lined up, and I mean um, really special guests as well uh, throughout, well, I want to say the season. It's very difficult. See, the, the tier of people that you get Booking them in starts to get a bit more difficult, doesn't it? So um, we have got some cool people lined up. 
And uh, we're going to be bringing you more F1 news, F1 insight. And let us know what you want to hear. It's the off-season. We, we're not reporting on races. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. Um, the Facebook fans have voted, um, by the way, guys, that we're going to be talking F1 conspiracy theories. Um, it's going to be oh a long boy. one. That's yeah. going to be a fight. Yeah, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a long episode. There's going to be a lot of disagreements. Um, book out the whole day. So we'll be doing this next week. So, so clear out the entire Saturday because it's going to take a while. I would recommend that you both bring your best level of spice because I will be bringing level 10 chili heat wave for you. <laughs> I'm bringing uh, plutonium. We're going off the culinary board. Oh yeah, yeah FIA, uh, please do not listen to this podcast. It will be... Uh, it will be the thoughts of the fans. So um, thank you very much for listening today. And Callum, thank you. Thank you very much. Don't forget, like Ollie said, go and join the Cuts of the Rage podcast group. Anything you want us to discuss, even I will listen to you and talk to you and actually try and converse with you in a normal manner, unlike I am on this podcast. Amazing. Well, that, that's news. I might just talk to you through that group then in future. <laughs> Probably your best bet. <laughs> Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here as always, guys. And don't forget to check out FormulaNerds.com. We've got some amazing articles and little behind-the-scenes snippets coming out, and it's going to get bigger from here. Just glad to have you guys along for the ride. And thank you to Emma, who had to um, sneak out. Don't tell anyone, but uh, the eagle-eared listeners might have noticed. Uh, She had to sneak away. But thank you, Emma. She has kids. That's why. She has a life. We should maybe get one. We, we need a life. I don't have kids. I don't want kids. Well, right this minute. Don't tell Claire. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Podcast Network.